Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Mike with Hunt and Withrow underway on this Thursday edition. Glad you're with us across the Outkick network, which includes our YouTube channel. To stream us live there, just search Outkick, hit subscribe, join Chad in the chat. Hope you'll ring that bell and give us a thumbs up as well. And you can be alerted anytime we go live, any of the shows across the Outkick network. If you're listening to this great radio partner, we say thank you for that. Jam-packed show with uh, Amy Dash. Odyssey's legal insider. She will be with us coming up in 20 minutes. We'll dive into uh, the the lawsuit from Jim Trotter, formerly of NFL Network, against the league, naming a couple of owners and Roger Goodell, NFL commissioner. Trey Wallace joins us each Thursday. He'll be with us later this hour on all things college football from Outkick.com. Also, with great work at Outkick, Armando Salguero. NFL Week 2 previews. We'll recap his weekend at the Meadowlands. We've got one big thing on NFL, every NFL game coming up later in the show. Plus, Ryan Leaf joins us to preview all things college and NFL football for the weekend. Chad, good afternoon. And the weekend has arrived. Uh, we say well, for the weekend. I look at it as if the weekend is already here. We've got We're, Thursday night Thursday. football tonight. College games as well. A couple college games. I think uh, Navy and Memphis yeah. are doing battle tonight in college. you got Eagles and Vikings tonight. Eagles, Vikings. I mean, let's go. It's time. Minnesota staring down an 0-2 start, potentially. Uh, I'm staring down an 0-2 start in our survivor pool on the show because of the Vikings. Yeah. <laughs> and their 0-1 start cost me. At least you don't have to pick them again. It's true. I'll never pick them again. They're dead to me now forever. We uh, hit the top headlines of the day uh, for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow, Scorched Earth headlines, and it, it starts with, speaking of picking spots and teams, how many recruits are going to be picking Colorado? All things Colorado for the third week in a row uh, as primetime and Deion Sanders and a very talented roster, 63 new scholarship players from last year to this year, and only returned 10 scholarship players from last year to this year. And we've been asking the question as we started the week, what will this roster look like 12 months from now? What will the first big recruiting cycle turn over for Dion, where he's saying he's getting all kinds of calls, the program being inundated with recruits at the high school level. We know better than that. It's everywhere, but at the high school level specifically inquiring about the process how they can come and make a visit, what the standard is and what the protocol would be from the program with the buffs. Chad, this is just getting started. And who knows where we are, where we are three weeks from now with Colorado. They've got Colorado State this week. Then they take on Oregon on the road back at home against USC. By the time we get to mid-October, this thing could be on fire. It could also just be regress to the mean, regress to the middle. I doubt it's that based on their upcoming schedule. I think they'll be extremely competitive and the headlines, well, they write themselves for Deion Sanders anytime he's at the podium. 
Yeah, I'm right now looking at the on three industry rankings of uh, team recruiting for 2024. Colorado 60th nationally. They they have eight players committed, and that's it. They have two four stars, six three stars. So there's definitely a, a blank canvas there. I, I don't know managing numbers and scholarship numbers at Colorado. I mean, you've got to get a, a, a Ivy League educated mathematician in there to try to figure this out of how many players they're going to bring into each class, knowing <laughs> Deion Sanders is going to go ham in the transfer portal every yes. single year, but not just by taking guys. He's going to cut guys loose the way we saw that. This is not going to be a, a one-year thing. I think if he thinks someone's not cutting it, he's going to tell them to, to for sh- GTFO for sure and go find someone, someone else in the portal. So how does that affect his high school recruiting? This is a big weekend for him. Tons of top high school recruits are coming in. The debt class is going to look a lot better by December signing day, and I know they're going to add to it. A, a local example, we're based here in Nashville, one of the top recruits in the state of Tennessee out of the Chattanooga area, a guy named Boo Carter, committed to Tennessee for a while. He's visiting Colorado this weekend. Now, he was asked about it, and he said, well, I'm still committed to Tennessee, but I, th- I get one shot at taking visits like this. Yeah. And everyone is going to be there well, and, and, in recruiting, and all of these shows are there. I mean, it's not and, just – And think about just from the player, the high school players' perspective – I would absolutely take every visit I possibly could. Oh, yeah, for sure. And and look, who knows? Uh, some of these guys are going to flip and end up going to right. Colorado. You know that's going to happen. Um, I don't know specifically about him, but there's going to be some that, that do that. It's not just Fox Big Noon kickoff and college game day. 60 Minutes is doing a profile on Deion Sanders. They're going to be at Again. this game. Uh, first Take is going live from, <laughs> from Boulder, Colorado. This is a Colorado-Colorado State game that is going to air at 10 p.m. Eastern time, 9 o'clock Central on ESPN. It's crazy to think about. Let's put this in perspective, too. Just how the sports universe has all migrated to Boulder, Colorado. The Pac-12 contract with ESPN. Big Noon Kickoff is broadcasting that show from a game that Fox is not carrying for the first time. And... ESPN is taking game day there for the first time since 1996. And it's not for USC Colorado. It's for Colorado, Colorado State in week three. That blows my mind that we're already to that level. And the star of college football is the head coach, Deion Sanders. Well, and it's it's not just... Deion is the star, but as we saw with Shador Sanders and his post-game comments and, and Travis Hunter... These guys are taking on his persona. Yes, it's it's not hard to see his sons certainly having his persona. Being and they around have a part of that life. anyway if they're following him wherever he goes. It's it's becoming the U part two, right? This is well, this is. I mean, imagine the era of the U if social media was around and there were a million sports shows out there and a million other shows talking about them. It would have been different. It wouldn't have just been two live crew following yeah. Miami. Everyone would be following Miami. And people watch those games, and they, they knew about Miami during that time also, but we just have so much so much more going on now and so many more eyeballs in different ways to give attention to that program and to show it off. And when you got a guy like Deion Sanders who's so willing to do and say whatever, it's, it's a, an endless cycle. He's a fight now, promoter. Again, when they start to lose, which will happen – when that happens, what's it going to be like? What's that 
post-game press conference going to be, be like if they lose by 35 to USC? What's it going to be like if they get upset at some point this season, a game we're not expecting? What if they were to lose on Saturday night? I don't think it's going to happen, but you know, these, all these firsts for Dion and this program, we've seen a couple of firsts already. They're 2-0 and against Power 5 teams. Not many teams in America can say that, have already beaten two Power 5 teams. They can. That's a first. What's the next first for this program, and how is it handled? We're all going to be watching, that's for sure. And, hey, we're not naive here. It's not just the recruiting and, and recruits at the high school level that they're taking calls or getting inundated with. It is going to – I mean, there's no doubt that there are players right now that are already thinking, how do I get to Boulder? We mentioned Travis Etienne. He's tweeting after the, the first game, the first loss by Florida to Utah. Um, I can't wait for my little brother to get to Boulder based yeah. on what Deion Sanders is doing. And you know, how does he handle the loss? He'll handle it, I, I think, Chad, the, the same way his, he and his team have been handling the first two games with concocting this, we're going to make it personal mindset for every opponent. And Jay Norvell is making it very easy on uh, this week against Colorado State, head coach there for the Rams. They are just a little background. They had the week off. They had the bye week in week two. They are coming, they're 0-1, and they're now making a change at quarterback, going with a redshirt freshman who's making the start in Boulder. And here is Norvell on his coach's show explaining when he was speaking with ESPN what he told them and what his mindset is going into the matchup with Dion and Colorado. And I sat down with ESPN today, and I don't care if they hear it in Boulder. I told them I took my hat off and I took my glasses off, and I said, when I talk to grown-ups, I take my hat and my glasses off. That's what my mother talked <laughs> So, All 30 people in attendance were clapping there. Uh, that actually sounded like a pretty good attendance for the Colorado State yeah, coaches. I, I show. agree. You I, think I it was, was piped in? I was impressed, no. I figured it would just be a bunch of people just like they they just landed in a restaurant somewhere, a sports bar, and no one's paying attention to them. And they're in the corner. I, Those were some people that were actually paying attention and applauding their coach when, when he said that. There are too many coaches that just stay in the background and would not even dare try to make headlines. So I respect him for that. This is not the week to do that with all eyes well, and everyone in attendance and the ticket prices and everything else that is uh, craziness. Norvell's making the headline and giving more fuel to the Deion Sanders primetime, coach prime push that it's backs against the wall, us against them, and listen what the coach is, is, is saying, you know, down the road. Um, I, I just, this is not the week to do it coming off a of bye week where you're already making a quarterback change. We're going to get into some big takes later in the show. So I, I, I want to save some of this okay. for that. Um, I'll just say this is a general rule that we've talked about on this show that the OutKick founder Clay Travis has talked about. One of the first people I know to discuss this is Clay was starting out in the media business. He had a rule about never feuding down. You always feud up. If you're going to feud with someone, feud up. You're right. It's not worth it to feud down. Jay Norvell is feuding up in a big way, and I respect it. I'm going to talk more about it a little bit later. I think this is brilliant. By him, and I think you might see some other coaches that try to siphon off a little bit of that Deion Sanders publicity train when they go head to head with Deion. I, I'm not mad about it. I, I don't think that anything that he says is going to change. Anything that's going to happen in this game, Deion Sanders is going out there 
to steamroll Colorado State regardless of what's said. I don't I don't see Deion Sanders taking a knee and putting backups in and running the ball regardless of what Jay Norvell says or doesn't say. He's trying to put on a show. He is the show right now. He wants that show to continue. He's not letting his foot off the gas in the second half. This is a three-touchdown game. He's trying to score as many points as possible. This doesn't change that at all. He was going to do that regardless. So I'm not... I'm not mad at Jay Norvell for this one. Yeah, no reason to be upset. It's just uh, we know the result. It's a it's a weird. It's very much a, kind of an old guy. And look, I'm I'm more and more by the day becoming an old guy. Kind of an old guy diss. I was taught by my mama and daddy to <laughs> take off for sunglasses it's, and hats when you address people. And it's it you is know, that's kind of a funny jab at Dion, but I I like that he's jabbing. It is, but you all, I mean it is something you notice when he's sitting at the podium or behind the desk speaking at the pressers with the sunglasses on, and you mentioned they're going to go out and score as many points as possible. I, I mean, is there any doubt that Dion's going out with the biggest cowboy hat and sunglasses that he can, he can find in taking the field? He was even, he, he addressed this whenever he heard about Norvell's comments on his coach's show, and guess what? He's wearing a hat and wearing sunglasses. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm, uh, what I hear, I haven't met this gentleman, but I hear he's a good, good man. I know he's a great coach. Um, he has those guys playing hard. Um, I, I like that. I like that. I'm glad he said that. I, I like that. I'm sure he does. I, I, I think he does like it. He's like, hey, th- thanks for adding a little he, more fuel to my fire. He wants to spar. appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. It gets him energized. He's, he, you know he's sleeping in his office the nights before games? Yeah. He, uh, he opened Big Noon Kickoff. They asked him, well, where did you sleep last night? He, he said the name of the, the – I guess it's like a complex attached to the field – that overlooks the field. And he said he wanted to wake up, and the first thing that he saw was the field uh, when he wakes up in the morning. Um, look, I, it's, it's not stopping anytime soon. I, I don't think that we've reached the peak of this because they're probably no. going to win this week, and then it's going to continue again, and you've got Oregon and USC right around the corner. I mean, this is a show that's not ending anytime soon. So why not milk it, and if you're Jay Norvell, become a part of it? The one week you have a chance to become a part of. And the next couple of weeks, Dan Lanning, who mentioned, you know, Colorado and, you know, relevance to whenever they bolted for the Big 12 initially. Of course, Oregon ends up going to the Big 10 anyway. And then following that, USC, which is the the current reigning, defending Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback and a, a young head coach that is known for teaching and coaching the best at the position. So I'm trying to kick keep a tally itself. of the people who have actually spoken Deion Sanders' name or mentioned the Colorado program and given them some sort of disrespect. Add to this list, Hutton, if you can. We should keep a running tally yes. of this on the show and update it. <laughs> Jay Norvell becomes the latest one. The to list do it. of hate. He claims Matt Rule did, but everything I've seen and read I, about Matt Rule, he was on Bussin' with the Boys – with Will Compton and, of course, Will Compton, a Nebraska grad, and Taylor Lewan, and they were talking about Dion, but he just he would, said nothing negative about mm-hmm. Dion, and he said, "Hey, they're, they're, the portal's a thing. You know, a lot of people are going to use it." He's like, "I'm just not spending a lot of time thinking about it because I'm all about the guys we have here, and I'm trying to make sure that they know that I want to coach them." And that's all he said. It was not a slide at him. Pat Narduzzi went after him. Yes. Jay Norvell went after him. Brent Venables at Oklahoma went after Dion. With some comments, we need a running list and, and a to tally of, the people that have actually mentioned his name. A couple of head name. coaches in the HBCUs over the last couple of years, yeah. but nothing. 
More coaches well, are going to come after him when, when they start taking players from coaches. Dan Lanning went after the University of Colorado, not Dion. He made fun of them leaving the conference, saying, right. oh, "What have they contributed?" But, Last I checked, they didn't do a lot when they were in the Pac-12. Yeah. Now Dion is going to use that. Any coach would use that, by the way, not just Dion. But if someone it, said that about Lanning your program, is, is in in mind, in while saying that comment, he's speaking on the Colorado football program. Though. Yeah. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. it's not specifically and, and about they, Dion, just overall. They they haven't done uh, anything they, from one win to now both pregame shows headed to Boulder, and the, the ticket prices. We'll get to that uh, coming up, Chad. It, ticket prices are astronomical. In fact, they're surpassing one program that has been at the top since 2021 on the average ticket price on the secondary market. That's also crazy for Game Three. Colorado State, too, which is a big rivalry in those parts. They, they play every year, but Colorado-Colorado State was not a game I was expecting to see some of the highest ticket prices of the year. The lines wrapped around at the ticket office and the reported number for the city and what they made off of the first home game as well. Coming up, Amy Dash joins us. We, we discuss Jim Trotter's lawsuit against the NFL. That's next on Hot Mike. Hey, I'm a dad, and I know what dads want for Father's Day. They want steak, world-class Omaha steaks. Look, dads deserve top-quality American beef, and that's what you'll get with Omaha steaks as their Father's Day gift. I gift Omaha steaks constantly to guests on my show. Urban Meyer, the football coach, Mike Krzyzewski, the basketball coach, Kevin Pritchard, general manager of the Indiana Pacers, just to name a few, have received the gift of steak, Omaha steaks from me. Order mouthwatering gift packages starting at just $99. And as a bonus, use promo code Dan to get $10 off your order. Give the gift that I give to guests on my show. Mouthwatering gift packages from Omaha steaks starting at just $99. And as a bonus, use promo code Dan to get $10 off your order. Sack up and get your dad Something he'll love this Father's Day. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Pleased to be joined by Amy Dash, the Odyssey Legal Insider, joins us. You can follow her on social at Amy Dash TV. Amy, great to have you back on. And let's just jump right into it. Jim Trotter former uh, employee with NFL Network, uh, now has a discrimination and retaliation lawsuit against the NFL, naming a couple of owners, as well as Commissioner Roger Goodell. What's the, what's the end game here uh, as far as how likely or how difficult maybe it is to prove these racial discrimination lawsuits based on your knowledge of things that you've uh, covered and certainly read over the last several years? Well, it will come down to, you know, how much of it is direct evidence? Is any of it documented? Obviously, the statements uh, were things that were heard that were oral, but were there other witnesses? Were there other people on, for example, the Zoom meeting call that can verify? And then their testimony becomes witness statements, too. Um, actually, circumstantial evidence is the most common method for for proving employee discrimination cases. Um, but on top of that, 
what courts have developed is this framework that they will apply a lot to discrimination cases as well as retaliation called the McDonnell Douglas framework. So they'll look at, you know, was Jim qualified for the position to have his contract re renewed? Was he then rejected for the position? Did the NFL then go out and try to hire somebody who has either similar credentials or is less qualified than Jim, meaning Jim could have and should have gotten the contract uh, renewed. And then it will be up to the NFL to say, listen, we had a legitimate non-discriminatory reason why he wasn't employed. Here's what it is. And then Jim has to then go back and demonstrate that that reason is just a pretext for discrimination. So far, I haven't heard, you know, a convincing evidence of why they would have fired him. Surely the fact that he confronts Roger Goodell on national television and weeks later, that's a very short time frame that will be taken into consideration. His contract is not renewed and he's allegedly asked if he's in an alignment with this newsroom. But were there other things going on that could have justified it? Could the NFL come back and say, listen, you know, yes, he may have been pushing to try to change our internal hiring practices, but that's not what he was hired for. He was hired to write stories. And so, you know, maybe because he wasn't staying on task, they could try to justify it that way. But so far, they came out with a public statement saying something very vague that I don't think would be convincing in a court, which is, you know, the the uh, environment has changed, the, the media landscape has changed, and that's why we fired Jim. Um, so I think they're going to need something better than that, more specific than that, to show that that's not just a pretext for discrimination or retaliation based on what he asked Roger Goodell weeks before. You know, I know it's a totally different case, but we saw Sage Steele uh, sue her employer while still under contract and working for them for retaliation, for being treated unfairly, and she won uh, by all intents and purposes, at least some sort of settlement, at least she's claiming that. I I'm curious about if Jim Trotter did this while still employed, the moment that his newsroom questioned him or everything that he's claiming, does that change anything with the fact that, well, it's done after his contract wasn't renewed, or, Amy, does the contract not being renewed, is that a big piece in this and his claim that that was a part of the retaliation? Two things is, one, it removes the possibility of this is just someone who's disgruntled because they were fired. Um, but at the same time, I think him being fired is a big part of the retaliation claim, if not the central focus of the retaliation claim, to say that weeks after I questioned the NFL publicly, after, as he alleges, you know, letting all these other things that were going on behind the scenes that he didn't agree with go and sort of, you know, following his superior's instructions not to pursue certain things or not to go public with certain things that he heard, uh, which is what he claims. Um, so now you have an instance where he's publicly going against his employer and then weeks later he's fired. The firing is central to the retaliation suit, or I should say the not having his contract renewed, you know, however, which mm -hmm. way you want to interpret it. Um, so I think where he's going to have trouble in terms of the discrimination versus the retaliation claim, the retaliation may be a stronger claim because the contract wasn't renewed. When you talk about hostile work environment, the question that's going to be asked is, was Jim discriminated against, meaning was he treated differently because of his race? Or did he just not agree with what was going on in terms of the hiring practices, the opinions and the comments of owners? Um, is in 
during commentary that you don't agree with that you find offensive, but it's not directed necessarily at you specifically, is that discrimination? You know, meaning is it because he's black and somebody else, uh, an owner talked about black people in general and may have allegedly made a racist comment. Is that hostile towards Jim just because he's black or was Jim treated a certain way because he's black specifically and directly? Like, was Jim not giving a, given advancement opportunities or or was Jim given big assignments? And that's what the court's going to look at is how much did he have to endure directly versus, you know, just things he may not have agreed with that were going on inside of the work environment. And I think everyone understands, you know, because you sign a contract doesn't mean that your employer can racially discriminate against you or sexually discriminate against you or any of that. But yeah. I am curious, curious, Amy, in a case like this and a claim like this, how important is the wording of the contract he signed? With the NFL, as an example, if there's some broad editorial deal in his contract that NFL gets to dictate the tenor of his stories or what stories he's writing or whatever it may be, would that be an important piece of this if they have that kind of power? Because I think you could look at this and maybe see, oh, the NFL doesn't like being investigated by their own people. So I'm sure they had an issue with that. How important is this contract that he signed? Well, it's important if he's operating outside of the scope of what he was hired to do, then that could be a legitimate grounds to not renew his contract. On the other hand, if he's, for example, something he mentioned in his complaint, writing a column, and he's not allowed to say certain opinions, and by its very nature, a column is editorial, but he's not allowed to say certain opinions because it's race-based, that could go in his favor, right? Because he could say, well... I'm bringing my personal perspective as a black person to this column, and this is a race-based issue. It falls within the scope of my duties because I was hired to cover social activism and racial injustice and personal stories. And now I'm not allowed to say things because people who are white in power might be offended. Well, now I'm being discriminated against based on my race because they're integral to my personal opinions. So you can argue, you know, any which way for this. There's no uh, right or wrong way to do it. it. It doesn't mean that he would win or lose. It all really comes down to convincing a court that there was a pattern here and that the discrimination was race-based and that it wasn't just something that was going on that could have affected any other employee if they were similarly situated in Jim's position. Amy Dash of uh, Odyssey uh, is our guest and uh, you can follow her on social at Amy Dash TV. I know your schedule's tied today, Amy. Thank you for uh, fitting in some time and uh, we will definitely have you on again soon. Oh, sounds great. Yeah, it was nice being on with you guys again. I missed uh, speaking to you about these topics. I know, it seems I know. Like we got we got to do it again there's, soon. There's something new around the corner yeah, practically there's, every there's week. There's always a sports legal angle that we can get you yes. on for, Amy. Thank you it's so much quiet. for doing this. I don't know. I kind of enjoy the quiet. I've been <laughs> Have a good one. Thanks, Amy. Care, good to Bye. see you. Amy Dash uh, has been our guest. There's always a always lawsuit great. right around the corner. That's what I always like to That's say. Right. And I'm sure Amy understands that as well. You know, it, it, she had to be uh, off to another uh, meeting or, or interview there. But, like, uh, Chad, she's mentioning the, the editorial um, decisions by NFL, NFL.com. I'm thinking, well, it's really difficult to find much critical angles from the league on their site. And I, yeah. I that's more of the editorial path in uh, under the entire umbrella again just thinking out loud than it is one specific reporter look i think it's bad 
it's bad practice for a company to hire an opinionist or a columnist and then say, you can't have this opinion or that opinion right. or write about it. So that's bad form by the NFL if that's the case. But it's your you're, typical you're conflict of interest. That's gonna, yeah, but it's – to there, me, there are it's a not, lot of it's former not just, reporters like, I, that are now working for teams. Yeah, if know? I suddenly announced, um, you know, uh, hey, I've got this story – uh, that's going to put Fox in a negative light that I'd like to research more and talk about on this show that's owned by... I, I would understand that's not going to happen, right? You don't report on or investigate your own employer and your own company. So I just... Hutton, I have to believe, and that's why I asked the question about the legitimacy of the contract and how important it is, that the NFL and all of their knowledge and all their business had to have some pretty foolproof language in a contract that says... We have editorial control, yeah. and if there's an issue with something that you're writing about, we have the ability to change you on some of that stuff. Or, or, or See what I'm saying? And I get what Amy's saying about, well, if they're saying don't ever write about race, that does kind of play into his whole thing about what the NFL is trying to avoid. But to me, it's just a, more of a matter. It's less a race issue and more a you are employed by the league and you're writing things and asking questions to the bosses of the league they don't want asked. And that well, you, this is not the forum to do this at. But let, let's place also to do this. just state the obvious. There are a, a, a number of NFL organizations that have hired one of the beat writers in their city, longtime beat writers that are now working for the organization. Yeah. There is an inherent conflict of interest there with reporter and team, but they're employed by the team. So it, it, it's just, to me, it's an obvious deal that you accept if you're a reporter that is then going to work for the NFL or work for any league or pro team, uh, where, college, universe, whatever it is. Um, yeah, you give I, up the right to be super critical when you take that job. Like your, your example of when beat writer goes to team website to cover team. Yeah. They're, they're not, not tracking covering down the, the team. The same they're not check, uh, tracking down the, you know, the, the weekend arrest or the yeah, DUI. Well, they're not, you know, crushing, they're not uh, writing an opinion piece, crushing well, the coach. Uh, there, some owners don't mind being blunt. Like Jerry Jones, I, again, I, but you see my I point, if the owner the had a problem website, with it, no doubt, then you understand that you're but, not going to write that stuff. But you, I, I would feel like the reporter would know going in that that's the well, that's, inherent that's understanding. That's what I don't understand about all this. If this is such an important issue to Jim Trotter, he is writing and covering these things now for the athletic. Right. So you get to continue to do this, and he, he's already written the column about his time at NFL Network and NFL.com and how poor it was because they were covering up. Well, you're getting the job accomplished there. This – the lawsuit on top of it, to me, seems like a guy who's mad he didn't get to keep his job at NFL.com. Well, based on what he was told in December right? versus March, Again, which was like right if, after he If you've Adele, been wrong by an employer and you have the ability to go right and get your stuff read or seen elsewhere, and clearly he's good enough to get another job with the athletic. He's very good at what yeah, he does. then he could go about and still write and report and talk about it to anyone who will listen about the ills of the NFL. If you think that it's a, a messed up system or whatever, you can continue to do that. I, I just, the website, to, I mean, not the website, the lawsuit to me feels like it's hollow. And well, that there's nothing that's really going to come I, well, of it. Well, because but, what he's doing is investigating his own employer. Right. And but, they're not going to allow that. But I, uh, like, I, I understand, like, I, I 
I believe some of what's in here uh, in the lawsuit uh, claims. Like, for instance, uh, the, the NFL wanted the Bills and Bengals to resume the game where DeMar Hamlin was, uh, had, had the cardiac arrest and went to the hospital, and the players didn't want to do it, coaches didn't want to do it. And the NFL has denied that, and they're very sensitive to questions about it, where they say nothing uh, by answering just with a, a quick statement or whatever it is. Uh, we were talking about that on the show the week after that took place on the field in Cincy. And it, it didn't go through the coaches. It wasn't the, it wasn't the officials that tried to get it going five minutes or for a five-minute warm-up or whatever it was. Chad, I, I have seen the, me- the mechanics of how this works with the longest game in NFL history in Miami where we had two and a half different weather delays in South Beach. It was this time of year, a handful of years ago. Yep. 2017. Mike Vrabel's first game, no, right? 2018. And, uh, yeah, exactly. And there is an NFL observer at every stadium, and their role from the press box is to be the liaison to the NFL office, to the commissioner. And the only way you can postpone a game, it's not through the officials, it's not through a team and different... It, even the, the, the preseason game at the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame game, when the, the slipping was taking place on the yeah. turf, the commissioner has to agree that that game's not taking place. So if they're going back and forth and having either uh, conversations, brainstorming, whatever... That's the, that has to be the line of communication if you're going to resume the game or not. The commissioner is the authority on that. Do you buy so that his claim? That doesn't surprise me that he knows about this. It's been reported by others, too. Yeah. And the NFL has been sensitive when asked about it. So, of course, they're not going to want reporters that they employ doing that job because they're responding in the way they are to others and other outlets. That makes sense, even though Trotter is... On the money, I believe, with the yeah. only person that could call it or make them play again. Trey Wallace next. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well.
Glad you're with us for Hot Mike on the Thursday edition. Live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow uh, rolls on. And Chad's in the chat on YouTube. Search out Outkick and join him there. Man, the chat is uh, it's, it's, it's varying today from topic to topic. Oh. I can't keep up. Like, it's one thing, and then it's a few threads, and then someone else starts something else. And it's kind of like our conversations with Trey Wallace. You just never know where yeah, it's going to go. That's right. That's what the chat is today. They're joining Chad there in the chat, and Trey Wallace joins us here live on the show. Trey, good to see you. What's up, guys? How are y'all? Hope Chad's uh, managing that chat well. I'm, I'm doing my best. I can't Fevers. nuke people Fever out of here. Space. So, you know, usually people kind of stay in line, but there are times where I've wanted to nuke a few people, and I, I don't have any power. I don't have the nuclear codes for the chat, is what I'm saying. Doesn't, so I can't doesn't do it. sound like you at all, Chad. Yeah, That's you know, like if you run the team website, like the fan site, the moderators have the ability, like if they, someone's saying something they don't like, they just knock it out. I can't yeah. do that. So I feel powerless, but all powerful, <laughs> because I can also sort of, you know, get the tempo of the chat going the entire time. You know how it goes, so Trey. You're telling me you're not Pac-12 Commissioner George Kilikoff. That's not, pretty much Yes. Same. Trey okay. Wallace with us, our uh, Outkick senior college football reporter. But we're going to start in the NFL. The mysterious uh, move that the Rams made, they've placed Stetson Bennett, their backup QB, on the non-football injury list, and they did this yesterday. There's not much detail to this, which allows everyone to assume uh, that it's something that is more individual-based than it is injury while training um, and something that the Rams either aren't, aren't pleased with or that they're willing to work with Stetson on. It is a, uh, it's a weird situation because of the fact that he didn't dress the first week of the season because it was an injury, a shoulder injury. You guys know the NFL, you know, you, you, but they didn't put him on injury reserve. So then uh, Sean McVay holds a press conference yesterday, like they do, uh, out in Los Angeles, and and points out that you know Stetson Bennett is is on the non-football injury list, uh, meaning that the situation did not happen inside the facility, and it did not happen at an organized event within the Rams. Meaning, whatever has happened with Stetson Bennett happened outside the facility and didn't have anything to do with the Los Angeles Rams. So whether that is uh, him paintballing and getting himself hurt or, or, or anything got into an accident, whatever. It doesn't sound like that though, based on the it, tone and no. the quote from McVeigh, where he's that's saying, what I was, Hey, that's th- what I was about some to things are to. bigger and more important. And out of respect of uh, out the of particulars respect for the situation, there's a lot of talk we're like gonna that. We're going to keep it in house, and then yeah. uh, a follow up was made. And what McVeigh said, "Come on, man! Like, please, can we can we move on?" That was his answer. That, that's where it started to. That's why I started to fire off some text messages yeah. last night and and trying to get to the bottom of it. And, and and I'm not going to whatever speculate on the messages that I received, but it 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 doesn't it doesn't sound football related at all. And, um, you know, you, you hate to see this, whatever, either way, he misses four games. Um, and, and so he can't play until week six, even if he came back, you know, to the team and I don't know, you know, whatever, I'm not going to speculate on here, but yes, I agree with you. The tone of Sean McVay made this sound like that it was a 
much bigger situation than than what would happen on the football field. So that's why there's mystery surra- surrounding this. And that's why I think people are are looking for answers, but also doing it delicately at the same time. Tennessee at Florida on Saturday night. It's, I think, the game of the weekend. Uh, a pretty light slate of games in this week three across college football. Uh, Tennessee is six and a half point favorite. It's crazy going into this game. Tennessee's right where we thought they'd be at 2-0, uh, headed to Gainesville. But in previewing this game, if you told me before the season that I'd, I'd be looking at it and saying not, you know, how many points is Tennessee going to score and can Florida keep up? But, hey, can Tennessee's defense hold down Florida the way Utah did? And can Tennessee win a low-scoring affair? Uh, this Tennessee passing game has given everyone, uh, you know, some reasons for pause on this on this season and with this team. What do you think is going on, Trey? Is this just a quarterback and receivers trying to find footing together? Or is there something bigger going on with that Tennessee offense? I think we're really about to find out because what you saw against Austin P, what you saw against Virginia, I mean, they're really not testing teams down the field through two games of the season. Uh, some of the passages you've seen from Joe Milton have just, in all honesty, just been inaccurate. Um, yeah, there were a couple drops, um, but, you know, it, it, that's what happens when you're throwing the ball 118 miles per hour at a wide receiver. Um, so I, I'm very interested to see now how Tennessee goes into Gainesville and if things get a little wacky on offense, Chad, how does Joe Milton respond? I was talking with a couple of people over at Tennessee this week about this. And, you know, one of the biggest concerns is, you know, what if they, you know, what if they miss on a couple of downfield balls? What if they, you know, miss out on a couple of third downs, maybe because of a bad throw or something along them lines, you know, how does Joe Milton handle this thing mentally in front of 90,000 fans in Gainesville at night. It's just going to be an electric atmosphere. And, you know, you, Josh Heupel's trying to run this offense this year uh, his way. He wants to go fast. He wants to go deep. He wants to test them. We all saw what it looked like last season. He wants to be able to do that. Right now under Joe Milton, you know, it's not like he can't complete the passes. It's just he's got to be more consistent with his throwing. And 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 I think I went back and watched – you know, off that Austin P game, I'm just watching the offensive highlights, you know, just offensive plays, not the whole game. Cause that'd have been terrorizing to my soul, but overall, just in general, I, I think right now that Florida has got to be feeling at least decent, you know, about, you know, Tennessee coming to town and, and where Tennessee beats Florida is on the running game. You know, if they establish a rushing attack with Jalen Wright, Jabari small, even though Dylan Sampson into that mix and they can control it. Uh, I think that's a different story. And it gives Joe Milton some time, some success and play action and whatnot. You know, if Cooper Mays returning for Tennessee at center uh, will help the offensive line, um, then they can switch Ollie Lane over. But what I'm getting at here is that, you know, it, 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 it's not the Tennessee offense that you saw last year, uh, even though they want it to be. And, and maybe they break out of the shell this weekend against Florida. But if you're Florida, Chad, man, you stack seven players in that box and you come after him and you make him make ba- Joe Milton make bad decisions. And you try to do that all night. Like you, you just give out. Don't worry about what happened to the secondary. If he, if he connects on a couple of throws is what it is, but you force him into mistakes. And that's why I think Florida is going to make this thing interesting. And I, I, I think it's close and, you know, I'm not ever going to pick Tennessee to beat Florida in Gainesville until they actually do it. Then I'll come back and do it. They haven't done that in 20 years. So I, I just think this is going to be a fun game. 
I think it's going to be a nice lead-in uh, for Colorado and Colorado State. If you want to stay up at 10 o'clock tonight at night and watch Deion Sanders, which a lot of people will. Um, but I just feel like right now, um, I think Tennessee should win this game, man. But there's a couple things that throw me off about this offense at the moment. Trey Wallace with us. Trey, are you surprised to see the spread in the Georgia-South Carolina game? 28 points, roughly. Uh, 27 and a half to 28 and a half, depending on where you look. Um, we haven't seen much to determine what Georgia is at quarterback based on opponent. And I'm curious about South Carolina because we know they can catch fire at quarterback pretty easily. They did so at the end of last season. It's on the road. It's in Athens. It's between the hedges. But 28, that that's a high bar uh, for this opponent that we saw uh, in South Carolina just several months ago and what they did to Tennessee and what they did to Clemson. Jonathan, I'm taking South Carolina in the points, and I know that's all. That's a lot. I would take South Carolina in the points if it was 17. And I'm, I'm just saying that. I, what Georgia has done on offense this year has not amazed me yet with Carson Beck. They, they've started slow the first two games of the season. Mike Bobo was offensive coordinator. Um, yes, they they beat up on teams in the second half that are are, are horrible to begin with. But I'm just looking at it as a whole. Yeah, they've got a rushing attack. But I haven't seen Carson Beck in this offense yet really just explode for points. I mean, I know what the point totals have been and the scores have been the last couple of games, but they've started slow. I've sat there and watched them play. So you get Spencer Rattler into a situation where that young man gets hot and South Carolina starts completing some passes down the field. South Carolina, South Carolina could score. Now we're going up against the Georgia defense, South Carolina is, so it makes it interesting how much time Spencer Rattler is going to have, Jonathan, but I just, I don't like this spread. I feel like South Carolina is better than a 28-point underdog at Georgia. How important is this game for Eli Drinkwitz at, at Missouri, hosting Kansas State? K-State 15th in the country, only a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Missouri's getting them at home. This would be a Big time win for him to get this season kickstarted. Mm. It feels like the time is now for him and that program to do something. This is it. Like, this is the point, Chad. You brought it up, man. You're playing a team like this that that you have the ability to win. Um, we've seen what they've been doing in recruiting. That's great. But you're going to have to prove yourself in an out-of-conference game. And what better way to do it against Kansas State, State team that, in my opinion, could be a problem in the Big 12 this year. So, and the quarterback situation is still kind of up in the air. Is it Brady Cook? Is it Sam Horn? Are we going back and forth in this thing? Eli Drinkwitz needs this win on Saturday. He needs to be able to put his foot down and say, okay, we can do this. Now let's lead this thing on into the rest of the SEC season and try to find four to five wins. I just, you know, you said Tennessee, you know, Florida's you know, the premier game of the, the day on the schedule. I think this one's probably, you know, either second or third. You know, just from the way things stand, you know, the standpoint of it and, and also the the ramifications of this game for Eli Drinkwitz. They don't need to get beat at home by Kansas State by 14 points, and they got to figure out their quarterback situation right now. And if this if this is Brady Cook's team, because if not, it's going to be a long season in Columbia, Missouri. So this is a game I'm fascinated to watch on Saturday. I'm with you. LSU at Mississippi State, 11 a.m. Central Time kickoff. I'm excited to see this one also to see how LSU responds uh, to a, a, a week one blowout loss to Florida State. This is where that line also gets me here. I think Mississippi – look, 
Will Rogers only threw the ball 17 times last weekend. 17 times again. He was throwing the ball 50 times last year from Mike Leach. Now I'm interested to see if Zach Arnett says, okay, we're gonna we're gonna let you open this thing up. Go pass the ball, try to take advantage of LSU secondary. Let's see how we can open it up. Give you a little time, maybe set a running game up. I, I, I'm not picking Mississippi State to win this game, but LSU's not walking into Starkville and just going to beat up all over the Bulldogs. I think Will Rogers and this offense, I think they're probably going to switch it up from what they did against Arizona last week. Maybe play a little cat and mouse, you know, with 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 what they did to Arizona, and now they're going to play LSU. Um, I think this is a fun game, and and I do think this comes down you know, to the fourth quarter. I'm very interested to see what LSU looks like against a much tougher opponent. We saw them against Florida State. It was bad in the second half. I don't care what they did against Grambling. Now I care about going on the road, playing an SEC defense, and especially a Zach Arnett-led SEC defense. Trey, we've literally got a minute left. I don't want to cut you off with that. But Bama on the road, a true road game in a group of five opponent. First time since 2003 that Bama has been on the road against one of those teams and this is South Florida a team and a program that's five and 20 since 2020 and they're doing it based on recruiting they want to be visible in the state of Florida take the points in South Florida I don't trust the Alabama quarterback situation right now but also going to say this too I think South Florida scores a couple of touchdowns if everybody remembers the offensive coordinator for Tennessee last year was Alex Golas. He was helping Josh Heupel run that offense. Who did they beat last year? Alabama. How did he know how to beat them? Look how they spread out the wide receivers. The head coach now at South Florida, Alex Golas. He's at least going to know how to. Does he have the players? We're going to find out. I'm not saying Alabama's losing. I just don't think they win by like 38 points in South Florida. So I don't think Jalen Hyde is on that South Florida roster, unfortunately, he's not for Alex Golish. That's one problem. Come on, Chad. <laughs> I'm not calling the upset. No, I'm just know, saying don't take Bama and 38 points. I said 5-20. Like, and 20, Actually, 5-30 and 30 since 2020. Is yeah, the, I, the Bulls I, it's record. a lot. It's a lot of points. I will say to Trey's point, that's Trey, a lot of points for Alabama. To thank cover you, man. And we look forward to your coverage on the site this weekend. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Trey Wallace, senior college football reporter at Outkick.com. Coming up in about 25 minutes, Armando Salguero will be with us. We'll talk NFL. And in five minutes, we discuss the 0-2 teams potentially in the NFL. Plus, we get back to prime time. 